step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donia Keating, live from the Seattle area at about 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Friday, March 4th. Listeners dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live. And you can press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak so we know you're out there. If you would rather not speak live, which happens quite a bit, you can just send us a comment or a question uh, via our chat feature. You can open that up and go. Uh, Might be a bit uh, better to operate if you have a Blog Talk Radio account. Plus, you get to sign up and maybe have your own podcast show and have a little fun. But um, let us know what you're thinking, and we'll try to incorporate it into today's show, which, speaking of which, I promise not to whine and moan about being dragged, kicking, and screaming under the air to talk about this, so I won't. It was kind of funny, though, um, to have an Outlook calendar entry just kind of land in my pile like a scud, saying, you know, you've got to be here on this date and time and talk about this subject. I'm usually kind of driving the process, and it was a little interesting and different. So Charles Keating is going to be joining us. This is a topic he tried to discuss on Facebook, and it fell flat, so he wanted to move it here. I'm going to go look for him and grab him, and then we'll just move this along. Charles, are you out there? I am here. You are, yes? I am here. So I ended up finding your Facebook post on this. And you asked your friends who wanted to uh, share their vision of what a Trump presidency would look like. So I went over, looked at the thread. Yeah, one person said it was going to be a mixed bag, which is you know very generic, not really committal. Another person said that even if the Republicans held on to both the House and the Senate, um, Trump's going to have a difficult time getting things done since he's an outsider with no party loyalty. And yes and no. I mean, obviously he switched parties as convenient, and now he's saying he's a Republican. He said he was a, a Democrat in the past, or he supported Democrats. So, but the point is still valid that outsiders tend to. Um, struggle in terms of getting things done inside of the Beltway. But other than that, uh, no one really dug into the topic or answered your question, which I attribute to a few things, Um, not the least of which is the fact that his campaign has attracted a lot of flash and drama and, and not necessarily a lot of substance. But I also said to you offline that an extended and thoughtful and informed discussion on Facebook isn't really the norm. So here you are, and uh, why don't you just kickstart this conversation? Well, first off, I find it fascinating that somebody like Donald Trump is even running, and even more fascinating that he is as successful for running for presidency as he is right now. And I think that is extremely telling, because I think 
we have an issue in this country that uh, even civil discourse doesn't lead to some level of give and take and agreement. Um, it happens inside Congress, but at the public level, it seems to be um, a negative value proposition for a lot of people. They don't, they don't encourage bipartisanship, so as a result, we encourage these attacks. And, gosh, that's what the political drama is all filled with right now. It's been a very interesting um, cycle to watch how, as you said, society has really come uh, down to the lowest uh, common denominator and really hit the floor in terms of uh, its capacity for for comedy. And I, I think that if Trump actually wants to accomplish something, if he wins, um, he'll do what every politician ultimately does. He'll have to compromise. He'll obviously have to tone down the reality TV shtick. And he'll have to play the chick game. I mean, otherwise, he'll settle for riling a base and wheeling power by where he can swing it, which has a benefit, but it's very finite. And beyond that, he's he's going to be politically stagnant. So um, I also think that a lot of people don't really know Trump well enough. I mean, if you look at even his bio on his website, it's, it's it doesn't really read like a person who's running for president. It reads like a guy um, and a team who's very enamored with the successes that he's had to date, you know, with, you know, oh, gee, he gave a million dollars, you know, to, for the vet, Veterans Parade because this is his way of, of helping the, the VA issue. And just a lot of stuff that really doesn't add up to, hey, this guy is going to lead not only this nation, but, you know, the world in a lot of uh, ways, but the point I was getting at is many don't know him well enough to separate his theatrics from his true persona. I, I've had the—I'm not going to say the pleasure or the, the pain or whatever it is—but I've worked with him in the past, and I've had some experience with him as a person, which is very, very different from his, you know, apprentice slash, you know, theatrical self. And the the. The thing is that a lot of the people that are out here listening to his rhetoric, they don't really care about the fact that this is not who he is or what he really believes or whatever. I mean, the point is that his rhetoric really is a convenient justification and a voice for things that have already be existed out there in terms of sentiment and behavior towards others that are considered, you know, undesirable. And one thing you have to say about Trump, whether you like him or not, is that he's very professionally astute. And if, in fact, he wins, you would think that he would surround himself with a bright team versus uh, going in there and thinking he's going to just bust everything up uh, like a Teamsters, you know, person or whatever. But um, you've got to know, I mean, if I have enough insider experience and perspective or even common sense, I guess, to realize that what's happening right now is much bigger than, than Trump or any one candidate. It's really a movement with implications and some unintended consequences that are far beyond the short-term solutions and, and events that we um, are hearing out there as solutions to our problems. And some of the groups um, that we are being led to believe are responsible for them. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what I'll say for now, and then I'll add some more later if you want to jump in here. Okay. So, you know, I had as you're speaking, I had this interesting insight. Uh, first off, I think Trump represents, and and don't take anything I'm saying as an endorsement that I want to vote for Trump for presidency. I think he articulates a rise in issues. He has definitely genuinely changed the nature of the dialogue of what we're doing. I, I think for a lot of people, they are very uncomfortable with the status quo, which to a lot of people seems totally unfair. Like you look at a headline of unemployment rate of 4.9%, but you realize that that's totally artificial. It doesn't count what's really happening with a lot of people. They're either unemployed or they can't find jobs or they can't find better jobs or they can't find full-time work. Those numbers aren't really counted in unemployment. You know, how many people stopped even looking for jobs? So when you Trump 
when you and I say Trump, when you when you when you <laughs> headline when you headline something and say, look, look at what we've accomplished, but it, it has a large uh, shift from reality for most people. That anger is being channeled into this election, and I think that's why people are so upset. So I got to give the guy credit for having articulated that the status quo is no longer acceptable. And as a result, now, now unfortunately, there isn't an articulate candidate who espouses potential alternatives to the existing status quo that really are doable slash, you know, I, I think incrementally you'd have to change things small one step at a time. Anybody who looks to be successful in a presidency realizes you can't just go in there and say, oh, this is my new plan, and everybody get out of the room, and I'm just going to come up. Because that's not how our government is written. Checks and right. balances, a Supreme Court, a Congress. Unless you have control of Congress and the Supreme Court, you don't have free reign. And even if you had control of all of those, you have a Constitution. So there's another check Obviously. on your power. So, you know, the whole thing with, uh, oh, let's let's – you know, let's let's ban, uh, let's build a wall with Mexico and all this. I mean, he's playing to populism, but he raises the issue that there is a border security issue, and it raises an issue that economically. And here's another thing he raises: he raises well, trade you know, issues. Well, let's let's not do the whole show in one one gasp, okay? But okay, let's uh, just, you want to break it up into pieces? So, okay, well, so I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll I mean, say that he's a, he's my a, question to you: a flawed candidate, is, but he raises some issues. Is okay. the way I would put it. So I was just going to say to you that I had read somewhere that he was actually the appeal that he had was to middle class whites or actually working class whites, and then there was another group, but I couldn't remember what it was. Was it was it the religious? I'm not sure. Anyway, it looks like somebody else is out here, so let's add him to the conversation and see what they have to say. So who's out here? Uh, this is Larry. Hey, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you? So people that are listening, this I'm great. Is Larry? I, I just <laughs> I just tuned in here just a minute ago. I just got back from San Diego, so. So you had to throw that in while the rest of the Pacific Northwest is, you know, swarmed in, in of rain and rain and cloud and hail. Yeah, right, right. Yes, you, so what are you know thoughts? me well enough now. I had no choice, you know. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. so what do you want to say about Trump? Yeah. Uh, well, I think he is ignited an anger in most Americans and that that anger crosses demographic and political lines in in a way that we've not seen in our lifetime. But I think that people are tired of business as usual and he's been the first one that has galvanized that feeling in everyone. There are some very disenchanted factions who are tired of the hyper-politically correct society. They're tired of class warfare that's coupled with a rising sense of entitlement. We have a bloated, incompetent, arteriosclerotic governmental infrastructure determined to preserve its gorging while overreaching in our lives in a way that we're tired of. And, of course, I'm not going to say that it's all bad. They are attempting to balance that ineffectiveness with efforts to offer a hand or a baton to those in need who really are really are trying to be self-sufficient. Um, but I would also say that, you know, the lesson that 
I keep thinking of when I see what's happening here is that those who ignore history are destined to repeat it. And it will be very interesting to see how or if this process unfolds. Actually, it's not even if, it's really a how, because anger is one of the things that can drive us um, towards what you might call a revolution. But you would like to think in the 21st century that more thought and innovation um, were driving the need to change. Instead, we've got like this Charlie Foxtrot, which uh, has the potential to reverberate in society in ways that we may not enjoy. I mean, it's that whole Latin effectus sequitur, causum, effects cause, or follow causes, or whatever it is. And it, it's going to be very interesting um, to see that. I have to agree. I well, think it's, I think, it's the I think people game. are tired of the way that it's been, and I think when you look at unemployment and you look at the state, the condition of small business in America, mm-hmm. you know we're everyone knows we're being lied to by the government. There's a lot more than five percent unemployment. The economy is not getting better for the average small business on Main Street. I mean, I know in my own business, uh, a lot of our customers are just hanging on by their fingernails. And I know how much that we have lost in bankruptcies over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a lot worse than we're being told. And I believe the average American has reached a point where he doesn't believe what the government tells him. I just saw a comment that says that uh, this is an abomination. And you know what? This is the process we signed off on as citizens. This is it. And so in some respects, you know, his candidacy is is thumbing its nose at that. And who's going to argue that? The Republican Party has been chasing its tail for decades now. That doesn't mean the Democratic Party is any better. But the point is that between the, you know, the extreme right and religious and and all the other stuff, I mean, the bust up was inevitable. And, um, you know, we've – there's – the other side of that is you could say there's a lingering conspiracy that Trump's not really running, and I, you know, and Clinton was going to, they're going to high five each other at the end of all of this, and if, if nothing else, all of these long apathetic voters are going to come out of their caves terrified of Trump and, and hand the presidency to Hillary, which is, you know, supposedly the strategy all along. Um, some other options could be, you know, we could have some independent candidates that can hurl themselves into the race and finally do some good and, and rise up and, and that third party thing becomes more real or worst case scenario, I mean, or depending on your perspective, Trump actually wins and America and the world have to swallow that pill for four years unless he does something incredibly stupid or dies or ends up assassinated or whatever. But the bottom line is, I, I think for me, if you look at the substance of what he's saying, just like Charles said earlier in his conversation, I mean, you can talk about all the things you're going to do, but the reality is, you know, you look at his major positions, health care, reform, immigration, U.S.-China trade reform, VA reform, tax, the Second Amendment, whatever, and I'll get back to some of those individual things, but, I mean, it's obvious that some of those things are not, you know, under his purview, and you're going to have to work with people on the Hill to get things done. It's simple as that. You can't say that you're against the establishment and then become a part of it and then think those people are going to work with you. It's very naive. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this works. Any other comments from you, Charles? You've been quiet. No? All right. (laughs) Well, I I agree with what you said about having to work with everyone else. But, you know, when you look at Ted Cruz, he is despised by his fellow senators. Is he going to be able to work with him? I don't know. 
I'll even look sure at somebody how like. Is, I'm not sure how electable he is to begin with, but that's just me. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't ring my bell at all. I mean, I I really, you know, no offense to anybody that is. I mean, I believe in a nation of religious freedom, but I am just not religious at all. And I just, I, it has no place in anything for me. I just don't like it you know, thrown in people's faces and used as justification for telling people how they should live. Um, but, you know, I also look at somebody like, just think about somebody like John McCain. I mean, he has not had an easy life in government. You know, he has actually tried to do what everybody claims that they wanted to do and other elected officials to do, which is to be, you know, bipartisan to try to, to reach across the aisle and, and, and bridge gaps. And yet every time he does that, he ends up punished. And so, um, and he's also tried to be a bit of a maverick and, and sometimes that works for him and sometimes it doesn't. So you have to give him some credit for having staying power, but it's a reality on the Hill in terms of people that come in there and think that they're going to, you know, change the system, so to speak. And the system is bigger than any one person, uh, any one president. Uh, it's just, it's a very ingrained, entrenched, and that's the reality, no matter how angry anyone is, that people need to start facing. And it's, it's it's we tend to go back from one extreme to the other with okay well we're just kind of helpless to go along with the system versus let's just bust it up and we're so angry and the reality is somewhere in the middle where you have to find a way to get around that system and work within it um with some policies and some ideas that are that are fresh um, question is who is that person i i don't know i mean i i would say that um the one thing you can say that's a positive, uh, if that's the word you want to use, is that, you know, for a candidate to not be beholden to special interests or a status quo system, that's great. Um, but, of course, again, like I said, you have to be a realist and understand how the Beltway works. Um, and, you know, obviously, if, if he doesn't work with our system or with other leaders, it's, it's useless. What are we going to do? I mean, we have to, as citizens and voters, we have to care enough about getting things done to know that reality and to push on whoever's going to win that, that presidency and his cabinet and vice president or hers or whatever to understand that we want things done and that banging our fists on the table just isn't enough. You're right. Charles is back. Charles is back. Are you back? Why did you leave us? What's going on here? Uh, my connection dropped. I have no idea why. It just went quiet. Okay. So, you know, you were saying would, there might be a lot of voters that would come out of the woodwork terrified of Trump to vote Hillary in. There's another possibility. There might be a lot of voters that would come out of the woodwork who haven't voted for, but who are so fed up with the status quo that they look at Clinton and say she is definitely the status quo candidate and we can't have it anymore and would vote right. against her anyways. And I think, all things considered, that might actually might happen. So this is a, this is a toss-up. Even if I don't like Trump as a candidate, and I, and I think he's changed the tenor of the campaign, and the people that have been on, on tap as our candidates, none of them have inspired me to say, yeah, this is a guy who's really got the policies I would want, or the tenor or the demeanor or anything. But something's got to happen to make a change, because like Larry was saying, People, there's a there's a disconnect between what we're sold and what we're experiencing, and people mm -hmm. are noticing that difference. Uh, I think it also plays into, oh look, incomes have gone up or they've stayed nearly the same, but the problem is that the distribution of income has radically changed to where people that can take advantage of the system and leverage resources are doing much better, but the average person and the average wage is not. In fact, they're falling back. That's why this candidate why the electorate is so out of kilter. 
because the vast majority of people are not doing better, only a small number of them. And they realize that the small percentage of people who are doing better, they have the ability to invest in the special interest to protect their interests. And that's why they're going to vote against the establishment candidate in a nutshell. So I just got a question, and either one of you can take it or both of you can take it. Um, there, you were just making some comments about how our society is not doing as well in, in business and so forth. So the question here in that context is, what do you believe um, are the policies that Trump will implement to change that scenario? Why don't you go first, Larry, and I'll follow you. <laughs> well, that was slick, wasn't it? <laughs> here, I'll, I'll punt that to Bye. you. I, I was just going to say the same thing, you know. Okay, well, uh, all right. <laughs> I mean, no, I could, uh, I could go. I could go I if you know, want. I don't know what he'll do. There's some things he's got to do. I mean, his signature issues, like the wall with Mexico, he's got to get started on that stuff right away. Uh, same thing with the the trade situation with China and Mexico. He's He's got to start working on that stuff right away because if he doesn't he's going to be called on it for sure uh he'll have the situation where people will just say you know we voted you in to fix this stuff and you're not doing anything you know we got sold the bill of goods again and they're going to get mad all over again and he won't be able to do anything your turn you know Okay, so one of the things mm, I would say okay, is even before he becomes presidency, one of the things that will be an interesting thing to see on both sides will be who becomes the vice presidential running candidate. You mentioned yeah. John McCain, but one of the things that became clear about why I looked at McCain and said, you know what, he wouldn't be an effective president is when you looked at who he had elected had appointed as his vice presidential running mate was somebody who was clearly not up to the task of the office. <laughs> and that was kind of a, well, and that would, you know, it's, it, it, it could say the same thing about some other candidates. I won't even name any names, but you know who I'm talking about. So I think we all know who you're when, talking about. Okay. Yeah, we do. So, so we could say that will be an important litmus test. Now, in terms of policies, I agree with Larry. I think there's a couple policies on which I think he's tapped into some things, and that is in terms of trade policy and border immigration uh, issues. And actually, there's some areas where he, by executive order, could take certain actions to do things. So he actually could act independently of Congress and the Supreme Court. As long as, as, long as he didn't cross too many lines, he would have some inflexibility in interpreting, for instance, border protection strategies, right? He could roll out the military for 90 days or whatever and, you know, basically help secure the border or do some things. I mean, he could do certain things, and I don't know if he will, but I think it's likely that he will make some changes um, along those lines. So I think those are the most likely areas. They all have interesting things in terms of tax policy, health care, and all that, but there's so many of those things that are tied up in, you know, passing legislation and getting it voted in and all that stuff that I, I, I don't know to what likelihood all those things, will, if any changes, will actually happen because it would require too much agreement. It's more the areas of he could do something by, for lack of a better term, executive fiat that will be his areas of likely being able to make some kind of change. Well, it's interesting I, I, because you're, you... I for the most go part ahead, Larry. Agree there. I, you I, what? I for the most part agree with you. Okay. 
I, well, I was thinking about, um, you know, it's it's not just, I mean, people are looking at the the, um, the presidential race, but it's also about the congressional races, too, because those drive a certain sentiment. And so if people feel like they need to offset what might be the inevitability of his presidency, um, then you will look at some of those um, districts where they'll start to elect um, people to counterbalance that so that they can have more strength in the House and the Senate when when he does come in, come, come a-calling with some of his policies. But, you know, just to go back to some of the things we were talking about, and you guys came up with immigration in response to that, that um, chatters question regarding what are some of the things that um, Trump can do to offset what's happening in society right now. And so the immigration thing, obviously, yes, it, it is, let's just call it, it's an issue that's driven by fear and bigotry, but there's also some economic concerns behind that. Um, and he proposed to temporarily ban temporarily ban Muslims, which is not a popular uh, comment to make, even though it's not 100 um, percent uh, impeachable in terms of a, a policy or an idea, given what we're dealing with in our in our society and in the world. Um, he's talked about building a wall along the Mexican border and making them pay for it. Well, you know, really good luck. I mean, he's not going to get it done. Um, he said he's going to deport up to a million undocumented immigrants. It sounds good, but of course, the counter, you know, question to that is how are you going to afford it and where is it going to come from, you know, in our budget? And then, of course, at first he said he was going to thwart foreign tech and science workers from getting employment visas through H-1B, uh, but he got really uh, soft on that. And so it made me think about the fact that even though he's quote unquote a billionaire and he can fund his own campaign, I mean, that, that's a finite resource and it's, campaigns are very expensive. And it made me wonder, you know, to what extent people like Microsoft and Facebook and all of those guys came up to him and said, look, you're not going to get a dime from us if you don't backpedal on that. So I don't know. The point is, I'm I guess I see that it fuels a fist raise and passionate nods and table banging and all that other stuff. But still, I mean, you're still going to have to ask how he's going to achieve that stuff. And he's not the he's the executive branch. He's not legislative. He's not judicial. And uh, you know, you don't want that whole whiskey tango foxtrot. You know, what's going to happen here? Um, some other things that he talked about, though, is he wants to triple the number of ICE officers. Now. That's not an unreasonable policy if, if in fact, we have the money for it. And then he wants nationwide E-Verify. Uh, he wants to – this one is kind of dumb. I mean, he wants to cut off federal grants to any city that refuses to cooperate with federal law enforcement. I mean, you just can't do that kind of stuff. So it sounds good, but you can't. Uh, and the other thing is that, that visa tracking system that we've been working on, he wants to complete that, which I think is reasonable, um, so that those who overstay their welcome, can, they can be found. And, and if and if that's the law, um, subject to criminal penalties, kind of the same way Americans are treated in some of these other countries, when you overstay your visa, you are kicked out. They, there is a zero-tolerance uh, policy, and we should kind of have that too. Uh, and then the other thing that I, I think is kind of controversial is, you know, he wants to end the birthright citizenship and stop giving automatic citizenship to the children of illegal immigrants because, you know, that's one of the reasons why they're they're kind of crossing the border and having kids is because they feel like it's going to be their, you know, their chip their their um, helps them to stay here. So I don't know. I mean, it's 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 not easy, but um, you know, we'll see how that work that rolls out. I guess the other thing I'll say, you know, and I'll, then I'll just kind of turn over the floor, is I've noticed that, you know, we have the luxury in a lot of ways of, of engaging and, talk, uh, and talking about stuff like this, you know, the political ramifications and how he's busting up the system and all that other stuff, without really paying attention to some of the more extreme factions that that have been lit up, you know, by Trump's message. And so if you think about what happened in Germany many, many, many years ago, the economy was suffering, people were disenchanted, and ultimately they found their patsies. And between that and some very powerful rhetoric, you know, the mayhem and the carnage started. 
and a lot of these citizens, uh, you know, they averted their eyes and went along with it to save their own skins and to get what they thought was going to be, you know, a, a better advantage. So my question to you guys or to anybody out there is, you know, with the people, especially with the KKK and all these other people that are starting to come up because of the rhetoric that's, you know, and the, the, the bigotry and the hatred that are, you know, people are taking out of his comments, if if minorities and other undesirable groups start randomly getting the shit kicked out of them, like it's some kind of coliseum, you know, what, what are we going to do now? Are we going to turn our heads and say, oh, my God, I had no idea that that was going to happen? What if it's on some of our friends? What are we going to do? Where Where will we stand on that? You know, we can't just look at the, the presidential implications and the political implications and the policy implications without looking at the social ones. So I, I think that we have a responsibility out there, whether you whether or not you support Trump, to really remain um, focused on that and, and look at that, because even if he doesn't win, some of those things are going to start happening. I, I don't see his presidency as inspiring all these fringe groups to all of a sudden feel empowered. I think it's been part of the spin cycle. You know, there is so much crazy rhetoric that's been thrown out there. But you know what? When you go back and read the comments and read the follow-ups or, you know, like even the, in the most recent debate, you know, oh, my God, he supports the KKK. No, he disavows them. You know, it's just nothing I think is going to have any staying power. I don't think it's going to change the status quo at all in that respect. What I do think is, and, again, there's so many checks and balances on the system, I don't think he's going to have much of a tangible impact in a lot of areas. What he might have, if in the rare likelihood he ever became president, is he might have some um, effect in just terms of you know, belligerently scaring a lot of different groups. And I think the thing is he's probably going to scare our international partners more than he'll scare anybody domestically. The people here know who the hell he is, but I think the people that – you know, are used to having somebody, you know, soft and pliable in the presidency are going to have a, a rude surprise whoever shows up in the office next. So just to be clear, my comments before were not about whether or not he was actually saying, hey, KKK, hey, skinheads, come and be with me. That's not the point. The point isn't whether or not he is directly riling them up. The point is that something is happening happening as a result of his rhetoric whether or not he's doing it, and there will be real consequences from that that cannot be ignored. So I think it's very interesting that you can say that you don't think it's going to happen. It's already happening. You mean just like an environment of lack of tolerance is the way you're describing it? Well, we don't have no. any anyway, but you know, now they're like pulling reporters and strangling them and throwing them out of protests or throwing them out of meetings if people don't agree, agree with them and things like that. And you know, and, and the fights between, I mean, these things have been kind of on an, on an uprise for several years now just because of what's happening in society, but I don't think his rhetoric has helped. And I will agree with you and probably even Larry, because Larry and I tend to agree on the lamestream media point. Um, I think that they have a very, very irresponsible role that they're playing right now in inflating um, and focusing on and distorting uh, information when they actually could play a, a more beneficial role as being reporters of fact and, and trying to inform um, the electorate so that they can actually make some good decisions here. Well, if they're going to inform the electorate so they can make good decisions, we've got to have uh, some debates that aren't mudslinging contests. Have you been watching the um, the debates? God, it's pathetic. 
It is pathetic. <laughs> I, I dropped off again right after you I know, got I done saw asking you. You're back. your question. Yeah, so I don't know unless something's weird about my connection. So apparently uh, the universe is saving me from making any comments that will be recorded for later posterity. <laughs> Thank God, you know. Don't take a position. Please, it'll be pulled out later. Um, you know. Um, We're talking about the know, debate. We, we, and tr- it just there's so much that to be, could be said. You know, I don't think some of the disruptions in society are anything new. You can go back to you know, the, the uh, clashes at the Democratic Convention all the way back in 1968. You could look at WTO that happened here in Seattle. The, I think the ultimate thing is people are cognizant of the fact that um, there isn't a level playing field and there isn't a degree of discourse. Now, they're, they're hearing about it and they're understanding it and they're communicating directly in social media. So as a result, there is a channel for people to communicate that can't be muzzled anymore. You know, we we all have the ability to communicate now in ways that we couldn't couldn't have conceived of ten years ago, right? Media controlled what people got access to before. That's not true anymore. It's completely gone. So as a result, people can get out there and put their message out there. And I think there are so many voices out there that people can now say, "Hey, the information can't be held private anymore." So ultimately, I think there's a lot of intolerance that was hidden. But when people come together and they say, look, are we going to be better off if we're intolerant or are we going to be better off as a, as a, as a community if we're tolerant and accepting of each other's differences? I still have – I still believe for most people they're going to believe that, you know, being tolerant of each other's differences is going to lead to a happier, more civil society over time. That's not to say we won't have the exceptions. So there you go. So I have three different questions here that are kind of the same, and then I, I want to ask you, Larry, to jump in with, with and start the conversation on them. So the first one, we talked about it a little bit, is uh, is he really running, or do you believe that he has an ulterior motive and he's trying to get Hillary elected? That's number one. Um, number two's question is, um, do you really think that he could win the presidency? And number three is, who do you think would be his um, vice president? Well, I think he could definitely win. Who his vice president would be, I don't know. But I think he could definitely win. Do you think that uh, that whole theory of him not really running and being a friend of the Clintons and just trying to hand her an election, do you think that that has any truth to it, or is that too far-fetched? I think Donald Trump's ego is too large to be a player in that. Yeah, even if in the beginning he never really planned on running, he planned on riling a base. Now the fact that he's winning and winning and winning, I think that that certainly feeds his ego. And now he's like, hey, I can do this. Let me see if I can do this. So uh, that's interesting. I read somewhere that it was actually started off to just be uh, a way to build the Trump brand. Hmm. And that it's kind of life of its own, but I don't know how true that is. You, you know, you make an you interesting think? point, Larry, that there was a number of candidates that set out to quote unquote build their brand, and the people that ran political campaigns say these aren't these aren't campaigns run like normal political campaigns. They're campaigns nor- designed to promote the brand of the candidate. 
And in extension, it's almost like running a commercial enterprise. You're using the presidential campaign as a way to promote your brand. Whether yeah. you know, So you're not really in it to run. You're in it to be reckoned in history and be able to sell whatever you want to sell down the road. And I think there's some real truth to that. And Trump may have started that way. And while he was a close friend and probably still is, a, well, maybe he isn't as friends of the Clintons as he was before. Yeah, yeah, I think the point is... <laughs> I, I would agree with you. I think he actually is in it now to run. He may have started this as a build the Trump brand. He may have also said, you know what, maybe he tapped into a long time ago the protest and was tired of things and wanted to see things change and said, you know what, I, I've got money and I don't care. Why not I throw my hat in the ring and, and you know, Trump at this protest vote? And now, now that he's won a whole bunch of primaries, you know, he is forcing the, the GOP to recognize that they're a split party. They've crafted together different groups that don't have common core beliefs. And as a result, there really isn't one GOP. There's several different fringe parties that have come together and, and an old kind of isolated mainstream GOP, what I call the old moderate GOP core, that's been kind of sidelined with all the bipartisanship. Uh, a lot of the people who really believe in that, I think, have kind of fallen out of the party because they can't get anything done. If they try to be too friendly with the Democrats, they get tagged by the extremists as, you know, not being uh, religious enough or whatever. You know, not being pure, ideologically pure. And as a result, you know, they suffer. So we have these fringe candidates on both sides that seem to do better, although I will say the Democrats seem to have a little bit better um, ability to support moderate Democrats although they have their own problem, they're just not as split as the GOP has been. And I think Trump has exposed that. Well, so to answer your question, if he is running, uh, he can win. It would be scary, but it's possible. And I have no idea who he'd run as, who, who he'd pick as a VP, but that will be a very, very, very interesting tell. That'll be the big one. I agree with that. Uh, I did see something on Facebook somewhere where somebody is being sarcastic and said he was going to pick Bernie Sanders. But, uh, <laughs> that would be the oh. ultimate. That would be the ultimate conspiracy, huh? Good lord! Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think that you know, in in answer to the first question about really can he win at this point? Sure, he could possibly. Um, I mean, he's obviously you know polling very well, and he's certainly doing well in the. Um, the caucuses, uh, so that's that. But um, is he really running? I think in the beginning I was one of those people, knowing how well he knows the Clintons, that even though he may have been interested and he wanted to build his brand, I think that there was a part of him that felt like he could disrupt the party enough so that he could splinter it so that um, you know Hillary could win. But I think also as time has gone on, I think, you know, like Larry said and you said, uh, Charles, you know, his ego is in it now, and now he's like, hey, what the heck? You know, let's take this out for a, a run. Let's open up the throttle and see what we can get there. Um and in terms of what his his vice president, I just got this little feeling that when he started getting um, Christie to stump with him and, and whatnot, that he was kind of looking at him. And the fact that he um, was one of the first major uh, people to, to um, endorse him. I mean, Christie is, is a very strategic guy. He doesn't do anything without an ask. And even if he doesn't end up as VP, I think that he would be AG or something like that. So um, I don't know. I mean, maybe well, you know, I don't even know. He's going to have to have a party insider. He's going to have yeah. to have a Washington, D.C. insider 
if he has any hope of getting anything done. Yeah, well, now they're all stepping up in line to insult him and tell him to shut up and sit down. So they're kind of playing into his hands. And, and in the beginning, it's kind of interesting because nobody wanted to say anything to him when he was going off the ranch because they didn't want, especially people in Congress, they didn't want him to turn on them and say, okay, folks, you know, vote that person out because he's going to be status quo. So they, they sat there quietly, and now, they, you know, this is coming home the roost for them. So, I mean, I don't know I mean, who he would pick as, as VP at this point that could be a respected insider that would actually want to work with him. I would say that Christie is not an insider in that, uh, certainly no, not on the beltway. No, I mean, so, you know, he's kind of very much like Trump in a lot of ways, you know, you know, kind of a bullying energy in, in your face. And we can't have two of them, so he's going to have to have someone there that can be respected um, to run with him. And I, I'm, I'm not really sure who that is. I'm, I'm not either. I mean, either. if it's if it's uh, what's her name from Alaska? I mean, forget it. He's done. Yeah. Stick, stick a fork. No, in. he, no, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't pick Sarah. Um, no, that'd be the kiss I, of death. No, I think, I think he would, he would pick somebody. He would pick somebody who's strong. I, I could see him. Christie, he might, he might say as vice president because no. he's the first. He's the first higher-profile person that's kind of stood behind him in, in, in terms of endorsements. But I don't think he will. I think once he gets into his strategies, if he's really going ahead and going ahead. And I don't think I don't think Rubio or Cruz really at this point have a chance. I don't care how much the Republicans want to pray for rain. I really don't think either one of them have enough on the ball to make it happen. <laughs> this drought is going on, man. It's going all the way to the end, you know. So it's going to be an interesting thing. Yeah, the, the other options are, what about, I mean, what about Carly? What about Ben Carson? What about even Hillary? I mean, wouldn't that be a kick in the head? Um, <laughs> it's just, I have no idea at this point. I mean, you know, he... He might he might look at Ben Carson because they seem to get along well, and he hasn't attacked Carson at all, and Carson hasn't attacked him, but Carson's and, not the Washington D.C. insider he needs. Yeah, you're right. Really? That, yeah, he's not a, he's not an insider, but he might give him some some credence. Interestingly enough, Trump has not been attacked by the uh, evangelicals like you might have expected. So yeah. the conservative party, conservative religious right portion of the uh, establishment hasn't attacked them to the same degree that the conservative establishment has attacked them. And I think the conservatives really see see him as a tro- you know as a Trojan horse, and uh, well shit he's beating the crap out of them. <laughs> so I mean you know if it was a Trojan horse it's it worked and you guys are toast. And I think he, he's announced that, you know what, your emperor has no clothes, you know, and I think that's exactly what's happened here with them. So it well, will be a very somebody, interesting thing. You know somebody he might look at be Rand Paul. Huh. That's possible. You could see something like that. Somebody who hasn't clashed with them at the same level. Yep. Right. So, you know, they haven't they haven't really clashed and... You know, Paul's that insider. He, he's an insider outsider, but, you know, because he's not, you know, he kind of stands on, on his own in Congress. But it's got to be somebody that's in Congress now. You know, maybe yeah, I, session Obama was the first guy to come out for him. He might be a possibility. 
you know, he's pretty pretty well connected and pretty powerful. Uh, Very interesting to see. I mean, I that. yeah, and somebody just made a comment and said, "Have you noticed his bio?" Um, and how his team is using it. I mean, these are kind of disparate thoughts here. But anyway, about how his team is using Eventbrite, charging for some events and not others. Um, and it says, not something typical campaigns have done, which can be very 20th century. Um, so he's, you know, where you just show up or call someone the RSVP, and they said not major stuff, but they just noticed that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that when you when you look back on the um, – campaign, even with Obama when he raised most of his money through the Internet, so to speak. That was kind of one of those uh, steps into the, the, the present slash future where you start, you know, showing the people that are your potential uh, constituents or that you really do understand their language. And there's certainly a, glow, a growing population of millennials and whatnot that don't want to, you know, when you get invited to some of these political events and they're like, well, oh, call this number or email. And I'm like, I'm not doing all that. Just give me something I can sign up for and get back to my, you know, the rest of my day. And so the fact that you, you can go and look at, I guess, um, a lot of the events that he's doing, some of the public campaign stuff, some of them he's charging anywhere between 6 to 12 bucks on Eventbrite, and that does two things. Um, first of all, it's not just one of those show-up town halls where you don't know who the people are. You get an opportunity to collect their names and their email addresses if they're authentic and still have a way to, to drive information to them through you know the Internet or email or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's very savvy. I mean, you, you almost have to do that in the 21st century. You know, you almost want to go to one just to see what it's like in person. Nah. Like, what would that be? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, record it. <laughs> You know, Larry's going to go for us. <laughs> Larry's going to do it. But, hey, Larry, you could. You could go and, and cover it. You can go do it. Yeah, you're pressed. Yeah. You're pressed. So it, yeah. it'll be it'll it'll be interesting. But I, the thing I'm I'm wondering is 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 an opportunity for true reform going to be lost? In that, to me, Hillary represents so much of the establishment. She, she almost represents what's wrong with the establishment. You go and look at her website, and it's 150 policies, finely tuned. You know, it's just kind of like you almost you almost feel like oh, it's, it's more big government, and it's stuff that we've tried but doesn't work. And then let me tweak this policy and tweak that policy, and you almost go, well, you almost don't feel like that's going to be the way forward. And yet you look at Trump, and it's like it's the super comical party, and you know what the hell's going to happen there? You know, it's like this. It's like we've been painted into these false choices. And there isn't anything where what where's the button in the middle? <laughs> where's yeah. the middle button? There is no middle button. You know, it's it's damned if you do and damned. Sounds to me like Charles just got canned again. Oh, sounds like we just lost Charles again. I think we did. I don't know what's wrong with his connection, but you know, maybe it's like Satan or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, any other and thoughts? Might uh, be <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it will be interesting. And he may he did raise he's back again, but he did raise an interesting point that you know, are we really losing the opportunity here to have some real reform by going for the, I don't know. I guess that the word I, I would think of here is the X factor, although it's not really X factor, but you know what I mean. We're going for the yeah. the reality television thing, and it's like yes, it's it's really great to hear. Um, 
some kind of manifestation of the exhaustion and the disenchantment that we have, a lot of us, with the, the status quo. But the other thing is, you know, it's, it's that's part one. Part one is the rant. Part one is the vent. Part one is the I'm tired and I'm not going to mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Part two is what are we going to do? I mean, what do we want to fix first? What's it going to take? And how can we, you know, mobilize behind something like that? And, you know, you really don't want to lose. What is that? Stop, whoever it is. Um, you really don't want to lose that, you know, that momentum or the ability to make some meaningful change um, by getting lost in all of the, you know, the, the the drama. I guess is the best word I can come up with. Any other thoughts from you guys? Just that it's going to be interesting, <laughs> and I and I expect that it's going to get more caustic before it gets better. You think so? You know, it's. It's going to be ugly right up until the convention, and and it's going to stay ugly, and it's going to get uglier. Wow, you know, that's the, not very heartening. Repu- you know, I, I have said all along, there's not a way for the Republicans to shoot themselves in the foot they haven't thought of, but that I have great confidence in their ability to invent new ones, and, you know, they're just proving me right here. Uh because they are destroying the party from the inside out. You know, what part of people, the people have put Trump where he is? What part of this are they not getting? And the re- and the reasons why he's where he is. You know, they, they're like totally missing that because they are so threatened by him. They They have to, you know, get rid of him at all costs. But the problem is, you know, it's the people that have put him where he is, and they're not listening. Yeah. I think the other side of that is that, on the one hand, you know, the government is set up so that you're representing the people. It's a republic. It's not a democracy. Uh, And sometimes you give people exactly what they want, but sometimes you give them what they need because they don't always know what they want. And that's not meant to be an arrogant statement, so I don't want anybody writing me and saying anything stupid out there. My point is that, you know, because I get some of these things and it's like, no, I am not entertaining that on my email. But the, the, the point I'm making actually is that just because the society is angry and the message from the people is an angry, intolerant, fed up message doesn't mean that a leader doesn't also have a responsibility to get in there and try to guide that to something productive instead of catering to it and saying, okay, you're mad, and so that's going to be what I represent. It's not enough, in my opinion. That's not really true leadership. And so, like I said, it's still the part one. It's not the part two. And, And we need a leader that can come in and say, okay, I get it. We're angry. So here's where I think we can go. And not the we're going to get rid of everybody and wall everybody out and ship everybody out and and that you know to cater to the lowest common denominator. So there, that's the piece that's missing. And I think you're right. I think that we are going to see worse um, as we progress or as we continue because it's not progress. But I, I really do. I really would have liked to have seen um, this go around. Someone that has the the intellect and the vision. Um, and the power to come in and, and kind of put their finger in the middle of the eye of the storm and then pull it out and, and make something um, meaningful happen. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll just say, go ahead. Yeah, I just said I don't know who that would be, but that's, you know, I kind of feel the same way. 
I, I was going to say, when you look at some of the things that Trump has done, and the Republicans are so afraid, but he is also a reflection of them, in that they've done some things so stupid that it's like, well, what are you guys thinking? Like, what is the point? What is the point of wasting the Congress's time trying to send 60 bills to repeal, you know, some 60 attempts to repeal Obamacare, when you realize the other side is not voting for it? Why do you even waste our time trying to make all these symbolic votes? Because that ties up the process from getting anything else done, right? So, you know, here's, you know, here's Trump saying, I'm going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. Well, obviously that's not going to happen. But that's just as unrealistic as what some of the congressional Republicans have done, too. So it's kind of like, well, guess what? You've created your own worst enemy. Here's somebody who reflects your values, who's going to keep sure. throwing things up there that are completely unrealistic. And maybe this is exactly what we need to have happen. We need to have the, we need to have the wheels come off this wagon because this wagon was broken already. So please let the wheels fall off as soon as possible because as soon as the, the wheels finally fall off and the wheel is completely and irretrievably broken, that we can start to build something that maybe works a little better whether that's a third party or something else. I don't care. It's time to build something else. So, yeah, I guess that's, you know, one of those go ahead and implode and we'll figure it out later. Kind of like the nuclear, you know, blast. Let it happen and then whoever survives, you know, we'll just have three <laughs> eyes and, and, and six legs and we'll just, and it's like, hello. <laughs> I don't or know. Maybe it's Maybe it's like taking the warning labels off of everything and letting uh, the stupid people sort themselves out. <laughs> like a Mad Max, huh? Yeah. Well, who's going to sort out North Korea because he wants to, uh, you know, ready our nuclear weapons for launch now? You okay, know, well, I'm like... not going to be talking about that today, so. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no thanks. We got enough on our plate right now. So the Trump factor, can he do it? The consensus here with the three of us is that yes, he can. He can actually end up elected. Um the is he really running conspiracy or question? I mean, at this point I think all three of us are at that point where we can say yes, he really is. I mean, there was a point when I really strongly believed that he really wasn't running. Um, and then, of course, we already know who he's appealing to and, and why and, and whatever. And in terms of what's next, I think that's anybody's guess. And in terms of who's going to be, you know, his cabinet members or whatever, um, I think that can be anybody's guess, too. I, I don't think anybody knows who his VP is going to be. I mean, I'm, you know, very involved in the Hill and, and the Beltway, and I know a lot of people that are, are there, and they have no clue. So I don't feel bad about not knowing that. Hey, I just got a news flash here. It says Ben Carson tells crowd at CPAC that he is ending his presidential bid. Wow. No. Just thought I'd you know, share that. So he's out too, you know? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, I, I I knew he was you know, he was realizing there was no path forward. No. I guess the other part of that is that there are some people that are loyalists that would not vote for Trump. They would vote for Carson. And so as long as they would vote for Carson or Rubio or or whomever, 
um, they're splintering that vote. And so by standing out of the way, it gives them a chance to choose somebody else, whoever that may be. Maybe they're trying to throw all those votes to Trump. Maybe they're trying to throw it to somebody else that's going to kind of come in at the last minute and stand in, and they want to just kind of prepare and set the table for that. So I don't know. It's interesting. I you know, I think he should have gotten out, and, and I he's he's a decent enough man, and he's certainly bright, but some of the things that he's actually said, not what the media said he said, some of the things he's actually said, and some of the, especially the thing about the, the murder, I mean, that's just a little weird for me. But um, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, it's time for people that are building their brands to move on. Let's put it that way. Was that his, uh, what was that uh, Democratic candidate who did the, the, the alley-oop, that came off weird and got played on the on the on the loop track. Oh, Howard Dean. Yes, that was his yeah. moment yeah. when he made that a, a confession. I know I felt like this one. Whatever you're saying, you got to realize how that's going to play later on. <laughs> I I felt like killing my roommate in college. I don't care if you did, but you don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah. And it becomes well, the loop that. track. And I think he, the moment he did that, he was done. And, you know, he was that's done. something Trump needs to get his arms around. I mean, if he wants to be president, he needs to get out of the gutter and start acting presidential. I agree with that. Well, interestingly enough, I was reading the transcript. I didn't actually watch the debate, the most recent debate, because I just thought it would be completely a waste of time. But when I was reading the uh, transcript, you know, first off, all the commentators were lamenting, you know, this is this is the end. But I noticed another thing is, it wasn't just Trump attacking. A lot of the other candidates were just flying off, and in fact, Trump was pulling back and becoming more reasonable, and letting the other guys fly off the handle. And of course, he would rise to it as well. But the point was, it was like you can't just say Trump's the only guy attacking and being crazy because they were all kind of doing that, yeah. you know. And it was like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, uh, you know, it was just kind of like they have all flown back, and you know, it's almost like if it was a strategy to draw your opponents to do crazy stuff, he, it worked. Yeah. Yes. He needs to be more presidential. He just needs to I act agree. president, you know, rise above, take the high road, you know. Yeah, what if, he does it, what if he does that now? Like, okay, he did this to get enough uh, airwaves so that he would win the primary and become, like, a national brand. But what yeah, if he no, all of a sudden right. switches his campaign and starts acting presidential and said, yeah, I just said that because he got a rile out of everybody? Well, he, he might come across as superbly insincere, but people also might recognize it was a brilliant strategy that worked and kind of yeah. go, oh, shit. You know, he did something, and he, he worked us all, and we all fell for it, and look at where we're at now. You know, he might be, you know, in sheep's clothes. You know, that's the thing is, I don't know. Some things will – it's a still a long way to November – and a lot of things will be will be will be discovered or are yet to be discovered. Yeah. And quite frankly, I haven't been paying attention to the car wreck because I, I don't like the bloody details. Right. Yeah. So it looks Great. to me like, uh, oops. Okay, we're getting a little thing here. So I want to go ahead and uh, thanks, Charles, and thanks, Larry, and all of those who um, actually either called in or sent chat comments or questions. You can find this. Uh, live broadcast now as a podcast later and many others we've produced on our Blog Talk Radio site. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Follow us on Facebook, uh, Sammy, Tommy, Roger, and the number 8 Talk Radio. 
This is Donya Keating. I'm signing off at about 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Friday, March 4th. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 